I bet you didn't know we'd be reading an entire book of the Bible this morning. Don't you feel accomplished on this holiday weekend? Philemon is the third shortest book in the Bible, right after 2nd and 3rd John. And it's also been a book of great debate. Some early theologians did not think it should be included in the final list of holy scriptures. They argued that it was unedifying for a larger community because it was too focused on everyday affairs. But the fact that it does seem so personally focused is part of why it's such an important book for us to consider together. So let's start by walking through this letter. Paul introduces himself as a prisoner of Christ. In fact, he calls himself prisoner of Christ twice in this short letter. Reminding anyone who hears this that one, he is currently imprisoned, but second, and more importantly, reminding them of who his true master is. Paul is writing to Philemon, but not just Philemon. He's also sure to mention Athelia and Archippus and the entire church that meets in Philemon's home. While this letter may be more individual, it is not a private matter for Paul. So Paul starts by giving thanks for Philemon and for his community of faith before he gets to the real purpose of this letter, Onesimus. Onesimus was once a slave in Philemon's household. Many believe that Onesimus had wronged Philemon in some way and then ultimately run away from him. But since then, Onesimus has become a son to Paul. So Paul is now writing on his behalf and reluctantly sending Onesimus back because Paul doesn't want to do anything without Philemon's consent so that any favor Philemon decides to do on his own would not seem forced but would be voluntary. We've all heard this before, right? I don't want to force you to go with me to the store. I want you to want to go with me to the store. Paul furthers this argument by claiming ownership over any of Onesimus' debts and asking Philemon to welcome Onesimus as he would welcome Paul himself. And after another cunning line, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you're going to do even more than I ask, Paul finishes this letter by asking for a guest room to be prepared for him because he plans to visit soon. It's quite the letter by Paul. And it's easy to appreciate his skilled gift of persuasion. But maybe you're asking the same question some of those early Christians were. Why is this included in the Bible? Sure, it's clearly a great letter of rhetoric by Paul, but what do we have to learn from this? Well, first, this letter shows us how Paul sought to look at everything in life through a lens of Christ. 
Paul believed and demonstrated that the gospel can bring light to anyone and to everything, no matter the person or the circumstance. That the power of Christ reaches into every aspect of our lives. Nothing is too important or too trivial. This is why he keeps describing himself as a prisoner of Christ. This is also the idea behind those popular WWJD bracelets. Do you remember those? They serve as a reminder to ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And to ask yourself that in every circumstance of life. But before I give you the second reason that I find this letter important for us, first let me admit, there are parts of scripture that are hard to digest in the 21st century. We would all agree, slavery is not what Jesus would do. And yet, we don't see Paul wholeheartedly condemning slavery in any part of this letter. Instead, Paul is sending Onesimus back to his slave master. I struggle with this. Just like I struggle in the Old Testament when God commands Hagar to go back to Sarai and Abram, who's been abusing her. And unfortunately, passages like these have been used to bring harm throughout church history. But that's even more reason why we need to engage them. Because while Paul's focus is not on the institution of slavery, Paul is demonstrating the power of the gospel to completely transform human relationships. He's making the case that reconciliation is always possible because of Jesus Christ. And that this goes way beyond our societal norms and expectations. We, as Christ followers, that is, as prisoners of Christ ourselves, can and should be beacons of love, justice, and reconciliation in our communities. Allowing the grace of Jesus to empower everything that we do. Now, when we hear that, we're probably quick to think, by yes, of course, we know that. We know that's our role. But we need to be honest with ourselves that this work of love, justice, and reconciliation is messy, inconvenient, and costly work. After all, it cost Jesus his life. We need to remember that Paul did not tell Philemon what to do. Sure, he used some pretty persuasive tactics, but the gospel is about the journey and the process of reconciliation, not just the end result. Paul knew how big of an ask this was of Philemon. Onesimus had wronged him. He had run away. It was well within Philemon's rights of the time and would be the expectation that Onesimus would have been at least punished. And putting aside Philemon's very probable personal feelings of anger, 
what would other household leaders think if he not only forgave a runaway slave, but freed him and treated him like a brother? What would other slaves in his own household think? Paul, as a fellow believer, was pointing Philemon toward the truth and the obligation of the gospel. But the choice was ultimately up to Philemon, with the rest of the church community witnessing. This reminds us that the implications of the good news may be personal, but we journey together with our communities of faith. We need Paul's who would challenge us to do hard things, those willing to speak into our blind spots, to call us back to the messy work of reconciliation. We need Aphilias and Archippuses to hold us accountable and be by our side while we're discerning and acting in faith. And when I think about this work of reconciliation, I think one of the first times I truly witnessed it was when I was on a mission trip in middle school. One night, as we were all having a time of reflection together, we were asked what grudges we were holding on to. Grudges that would hold us back from being fully present that week with each other. Was there anyone that we needed to forgive at the beginning of the week? And then we were all given rocks. And we were told that this was representation of that weight in our hearts. We were asked to pray over these rocks and then to let it go. And after that, we were to literally throw the rocks down into the river below. And while we were all taking this exercise quite seriously, there was one young man who was visibly angry. He held on to his rock way after others had thrown theirs away. Some students, maybe not noticing or maybe just wanting to give him space, started back to the sleeping quarters. The youth pastor went and spoke with him quietly as he sat there. And the rest of us just sat with him in silence. We watched as his visible anger turned to muted tears. He began to open up to us about his relationship with his father, how tough it really was, and his complete lack of desire to forgive and to reconcile. I think part of the beauty of that moment was that nobody was forcing him. We simply continued to sit with him as he processed. And I don't know how much time passed or how long we sat there before he finally stood up and carried that rock to the edge. We could all clearly see how heavy that burden really was for him. And as he threw it over the side, he immediately seemed lighter. Now, this young guy was not from my church. I have no idea what happened as he went home. I have no idea how his relationship with his dad was affected. 
But that night, I got to witness the spirit at work in his heart and a faith community surrounding him to bring healing. This was the gospel at work, and it was not easy. It rarely, if ever, is. As Rachel Held Evans put it, the truth is, the church does not offer a cure. It doesn't offer a quick fix. The church offers death and resurrection. The church offers the messy, inconvenient, gut-wrenching, never-ending work of healing and reconciliation. The church offers grace. And family, sometimes we never see the results of this, this side of heaven. But let us be quick to remember that doesn't mean the Spirit's not reframing and transforming here and now through the church's messy, inconvenient, gut-wrenching, never-ending work of healing and reconciliation. The work of grace. May we all, as prisoners of Christ, continue in this good work. Amen.